race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Now that Greek word for prize is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's used by Paul in Philippians 3.14 in a very similar context. Paul says this in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal of the prize. Okay, Paul, well, can you explain a little bit more? What is that prize? Paul says the prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, the, the prize is the call to heaven. It's exactly what it is. The upward call of God is the call to heaven. It's the call to eternal life with Him. So not to get the prize, of course, would be to not to go to, to heaven. So when Paul says, and I want you to listen very closely, and we're going to talk about this in more detail. But when Paul says, run in such a way so that you win the prize, he literally means that our entrance into heaven hinges on how we run the race. Everybody see that? He says, run so that you can win the prize. So in some form, in some fashion, in some manner, he literally means our entrance into heaven hinges on our running in this race. How we run the race matters. Now, as I said, we'll talk about that in just, in just a few minutes. The third thing that Paul points out that w that's at stake in this race, that the prize at the end of the race is the crown of righteousness. Look at verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to receive an imperishable wreath, which is implied. So the prize here at the end of this race that we run in this life is an imperishable wreath. Once again, the Greek word used for, for wreath there is stephanos, which means a crown. And, and Paul uses this once again in his, in his second letter to Timothy. And, the, and you'll notice the context, and this gives us a little more detail about what he means. In 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, Paul says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown. That's that same word, Stephanos, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me but also to all who have loved His uh, appearing. So this imperishable crown is this righteousness that will finally make us fit for heaven. You see, we don't have it today. We walk around here on this earth with an imputed righteousness. We're covered by the righteousness of Jesus. But the fact is, we still sin, don't we? We still have to ask for forgiveness. God still has to uh, forgive us. But the fact is, there's coming a day when we finally will get a crown of righteousness. We won't have to fight that sin nature anymore. We will be righteous. And while we're here, we fight and we run and we pursue that righteousness. And there's a wonderful promise that Jesus makes to us in Matthew 5, 6. If we will fight for that righteousness, strive for that righteousness, hunger and thirst for that righteousness, Jesus said, you will be filled you will be satisfied. Okay, so that's a, a wonderful promise there. So let's turn over for the rest of our lesson. And I want to focus on this, because this is, we, we know what the prize is at the end, but this is what really affects us today, and that is the running. How do we run this race? Paul gives us a, a little quote here. He says, run so that you may obtain it. And I brought this up earlier, and I want to talk about this a little more. Eternal life hangs on the way we run. 
Eternal life hinges on the way we run this race. Now, earlier we read this statement from Paul in verse 23. He said this, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Now, what does he mean by that? Now, of course, we've been studying for, uh, for, for several months now. We've been through verse 7. We've been through verse 8. We've been in the earlier part of verse 9. We know what some of the things that Paul's talking about. When Paul says, I do it all, what he means is, I live, I preach, I work, I suffer, I give up my rights. Remember we talked about in, uh, in, in, in earlier in chapter 9, one of the things that Paul says is, I, I walk this out in my life, the fact that I give up my rights for the sake of wish, uh, weaker Christians. I come into a city and I have a right to be paid for my labor, but I set aside that right because I don't want anybody to think I'm in it just for the money. So I labor at night making tents. You know, I'm a, I, think, I, I shouldn't have to do that, but I do it. I give up my rights. So Paul, when he says, I do it all, he's, he means, man, I live, I work, I suffer, I give up my rights. Not, now, now, don't miss what he's saying. I do all those things, not only that they might be saved, but what? That I might be saved. Everybody see that? I do it all for the sake of the gospel, he said, not only that they might save, but that I might share in that salvation. I might share in the benefits of the gospel. So Paul's saying, I run my race, I do it all, not just, just for them. I do it for me. I do it so that I might be saved as well. You see, folks, God has called Paul to preach the gospel. That is his race. The fact is, he told Paul early on, I'm going to show you how much you have to suffer for me. That's your race. I have called you to that race. And Paul says, what hangs on running this race is my own salvation. You know, I always ask the question, what would happen if he quit? What would happen if Paul, Paul quit? Look at verse 27. Paul tells us. He says, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see, Paul says, if I quit running, can you imagine Paul one day, he's gone through all this stuff. He's been shipwrecked, he's been stoned, he's been beaten, he's been always put in jail, he's been mocked, spit upon, people hate his guts, he's suffered all this stuff. And one day, Paul says, you know what, I quit. I am sick and tired of preaching to people that just want to kill me. My back, I'm tired of sleeping on the cold ground. These scars on my back ache every day. I've still got headaches from the, from the time they stone me. I, I've got these splitting headaches that I get. I, I'm hungry all the time. I don't have enough clothes to wear. People hate me. I'm just sick of it. I'm absolutely tired of this life. I quit. Now, I want to hang on to salvation. I want to hang on to Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, but I ain't, I'm just sick of all this life. I'm, I'm tired of the self-denial. I, I quit. Now, I want you to think about that. How many people in this world have done exactly that? How many people walking around in Walkerla County have done exactly that? They walked down an aisle. They prayed a prayer. They lived a life of self-denial for a while, maybe a few months, maybe a few years. But there came a point you said, they said, you know what, I'm tired of all this. I'm tired of not having to give up the things that I really want to do. I'm just tired of I quit. Now, I want to hang on to Jesus. I want to hang on to that salvation experience that I had back there a few, you know, a few years ago. I want to hang on to that, but I don't want to live the life anymore. How many people have done exactly that? 
You see, Paul says, if I quit, I would be lost. I will not get the prize of salvation. I'll be disqualified from the race and sent away in shame like a, like a runner that's caught using steroids. I'm, I'm disqualified. I'm out of the race. Now, you may say to me right now, when I wait just a second, Derek, are you saying that if Paul quit, quit preaching and working for Christ, he would be lost? No, I didn't say that. Paul said it. That's what he said. Look at 2 Corinthians 13.5. Paul says this, Test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Or do you examine yourself? Or do you not recognize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are? What's that word? Disqualified. That Greek word there is a dokimos. And in context right here, Paul says, Look, you've either got Jesus or you don't have Jesus. You're either qualified for the race, which means you, Jesus is in you, or you are disqualified, which means Jesus is not in you. In that context, Paul's saying disqualified means he, he's not in you. You see, the word that Paul uses for disqualified there in 2 Corinthians 13.5 is the exact same word from today's passage. Verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body, I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be a dokimos. I should be disqualified. You see, to be disqualified means that Christ is not in you. In fact, in reality, He was never in you. The race you were running was just a sham. It was a fake. Everything you did, done and all that stuff, it was just in vain. See, now, now, I want you to see something about this. Now, Paul does not believe that is true about his own heart. In fact, Paul understands something that is very, very important for you and I to understand. He understands that the way he runs and the way he fights is not because he doesn't have Christ and someday he hopes to obtain Him. No, he runs and he fights the way he does precisely because that he knows he already has Christ inside of him. I mean, what a distinction that is. See, there are people out here that they're, they're thinking, man, if I, just, if I just do all this stuff and I just work and I just fight and I just strive, one day I can just get across the finish line and get that little cabin in the corner of glory. That's not Paul's understanding at all. Paul's understanding is the reason I fight, the reason I strive, the reason I run is because Jesus is already there. I've already got him. He's already inside of me. Look, look at Philippians 3.12, probably one of the most beautiful verses ever penned in the Bible. Paul says this, Not that I have already obtained this prize, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Everybody see that? He says, I press, I work, I strive, I live, I suffer. I do all those things. I press on. Why, Paul? Why are you doing all that? Because Jesus Christ has already made me his own. He, in other words, he's already captured me. See, Paul understands something. We, we run the race with a confidence that we've been taken hold of by Christ for that very reason, which is to run the race. Our running and our fighting is proof that the Christ who ran his race and the Christ who fought his fight is alive and real in our hearts. That's why we, we run. In, in other words, what I want us to see this morning is life is not a game with no lasting consequences. The, the way we live our life has eternal consequences. Salvation, heaven, the crown of righteousness, all those things hang on how we 
run the race of life. Now again, when you say things like that, you always hear these kind of questions. Well, now wait a minute, Derek, are you saying we are saved by the works that we do in this life? Well, of course not. I'm not saying that at all. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul makes that clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not by works, lest anyone should boast. We are saved by grace. Everybody understand that. We're not saved. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. You can't deserve it. God chooses to save you. He does that. But how we live your life, how you live your life, and how I live my life, it matters. You see, folks, life is a proving ground that tells a story about you. It tells a story about me. See, how you run your race says everything about who you are. It says everything about whom you trust. And it says everything about what you love. Your life tells a story about who you are on the inside. I, lo- I love this race from John, uh, uh, quote from John Piper about the race. He says this, The race of life has eternal consequences, not because grace is nullified by the way we run, but because grace is verified by the way we run. That's exactly what Paul... Let's read that again because I, I, I just love that quote. I've got it written down in my Bible. It says, The race of life has eternal consequences not because grace is nullified by the way you run, but grace is verified by the way we run. What he's saying is if, if Christ is in you, if you've been saved, that'll be verified by the way you run the race. Now, as much as I love John Piper, that's just a quote. The Scripture says exactly the same thing. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. But look, watch what Paul says. But I... What's that word? What does that mean? Worked. I worked. I, that means I pressed. I fought. I strove. I, I, I did those things. And, not, and look what he says. I love this, Paul says. But I labored, not just more than all, he says, exceedingly more than they did. It, it, it didn't matter. He was talking about Peter or James or Jude. He says, I worked harder than any of them. Way more than any of them, he says. But look at that last sentence. Yet, Paul says, it was not I, but the grace of God which was inside of me that was enabling that work, empowering that work. See, Paul's running didn't nullify the purpose of grace. It verified the power of grace that was already in him. That's why your life matters. It's a proving ground of what's really inside you. Is the Holy Spirit in you? Is Jesus in you? Is the power that raised Jesus from the dead in your life? If it is, man, your life is going to be like Paul. You're going to work. You're going to press. You're going to strive. You're going to fight because it shows who you really are. You see, eternal life hangs on our works, not because salvation is based on the merit of works, but faith without works is dead. That's what James said. You show me a faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. See, he's saying the same thing that Paul said. He's saying the same thing that Piper said. Real faith produces real works. Dead faith produces no works. The idea that you can get saved walk out of a church and never do anything for Jesus, that is so far from this scripture that's not even funny. That's not anywhere in this scripture. Paul says, you get saved, you walk out the door, and the work begins. 
and you don't quit. You don't. Paul says, if I quit, I'd be lost. It, it would have been a sham. See, we say it again, life is a proving ground for whether or not your faith is real. So, how do we run? What should our life look like if Jesus is in us? Paul says it this way, run the way a winner runs. Look at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you can t obtain that prize. Run in a way that you win the prize. See, Paul's point here, by the way, is not that only one Christian wins the prize. In fact, in case you don't know it, one of the rules in this Christian race is that you have to help other people win. This is not like an Olympic race in the sense that there's one winner. In this race, you've got to make sure you grab hold of somebody and, and pull them along. Like, like Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another daily, encourage one another, push one another, help one another, admonish one another, encourage one another. We have to help other Christians run. That's not the point. The point is not there's only one winner. The point is this. We are to run the way a winner runs. That's how you run the race of life. And how does the winner run? Well, think about an Olympic race. He runs hard, doesn't he? He gives everything he has to the race. He runs like his life depends on it. That's how we are to run in our service to Christ. Not lazy. Not, not sluggish, not, not idly, not unconcerned, not lukewarm. We give it everything. It's our passion. It's our purpose. Everything else takes a back seat to this, to this race. When Jonathan Edwards was a 19-year-old student at Yale, he wrote 70 resolutions to stir him up to run the race. And if you go, if you go home, I would encourage you today, go home and Google Jonathan Edwards' resolutions and read all 70. And when you read them... Remember, he was 19 years old when he wrote them. That'll make some of us feel about that small. Um, but one of his resolutions was this, resolve to live with all my might while I live. Resolve to live with all my might while I live. You see, that sums up how we are to run the race. In fact, it's just a practical outworking of the great commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your strength, and with all your mind. Give it everything that you have. That's all Paul's saying. Run like a winner runs. The New Testament is full of ways that say the exact same thing. Strive. What does, anybody know what that word strive means? It means fight. It's the idea of two, two wrestlers in a, in a wrestling match that are fighting one another. He says fight to enter the narrow gate. Labor for the food that endures. Be steadfast, immovable. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Redeem the time for the days are evil. Work out your own salvation. A people, be a people zealous for good deeds. Love one another earnestly. You look at those words, strive, labor, abound, be zealous, be earnest, work, don't be weary. What is he saying? He's saying run like a winner runs. Run the way a winner runs. Put away half-heartedness. Put away laziness. Put away idleness and lukewarmness. You see, that's the attitude with which we run. This, this, this race for the kingdom and race for the prize of eternal life isn't some secondary thing we just do on Sundays and maybe Wednesday nights and, and the rest of the week it's all about our hobbies and the things that are important to us. No, that's our passion. This race is our passion. Everything else becomes secondary. 
Now, Paul's going to get a little more specific about the way a winner keeps themselves in condition for running. Look at verse 25. He says this, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. When you look at an athlete training, they don't, a, a serious athlete, people that run in the Olympics, people that, that, that you know, run for, the, for their countries and, and do their, this thing for a living, they don't just get by in their training, do they? A, a serious athlete just doesn't come in and say, what's the minimum I can do today? What's the very minimum I can do to be a winner? No, they come in and say, what, what can I do that will get the maximum out of my performance? If it's a race, what will cut a tenth of a, if it'll cut a tenth of a second, what, what can I do? Is if it's my diet, it's, if it's my training regimen, if it's my, the, the clothes that I wear, if I can shave my head, they'll, they'll do anything to gain that tenth of a second. You see, in the same way, a mature Christian should be asking the same question, what can make me most useful for the kingdom of God? What can I do to run this race better? What, what can I do that will glorify God, that will show in my life that I love Him, that I depend on Him, that I trust Him? Not the minimum. What's the, what, I mean, you're constantly looking for things. What can I do to run this race better? What will stir up zeal in my soul the most for God? Not the least. What will, what will trigger in me a hunger for God's Word more than I had yesterday? What will strengthen my longing to love? What will flan, fan the flames of my passion for holiness? Not, we don't come into this thing looking, what's the minimum we can do? It's the, what's the, man, we're constantly looking. On the other side of the coin, if we're going to run the way a winner runs, there are impulses that we have to control. Just like a, a, a runner in a race has to change their diet. They have to change their, they have to take care of their body. They have to discipline themselves. There are things in our lives that will weaken our zeal for God, that will weaken our hunger for Scripture, that will weaken our passion for holiness. So we're not just looking for things that can increase those things. We're also looking for the things in our lives that will deplete those things or decrease those things. So the mature Christian takes note of all impulses and habits and practices that would weaken them, and then they set about to take control of those things and bring them into submission. How do we do it? Well, this is the good news. Galatians 5, to 23 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and right there at the end is what? Self-control. Against such there is no law. Paul says it another way in his letter to the Philippians, in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, he says this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but always remember it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. It turns out that self-control is actually a misnomer. It's not actually self-control, but it's control of the self by the Spirit of God. You see, we experience it as a control of our own will, but the fact is, it's God in us. It's what Paul said. It was the grace of God in me, empowering me, energizing me to, to do the things that I do. That's exactly what we, we know in this race. Yes, we're exercising self-control. Yes, we are, but the fact is, it's Christ in us. It's the Spirit in us who's, who's, a, who's working in us both to will 
and, and do His good pleasure in empowering us to do the things that we do. Paul closes with this, verses 26 through 27. He says, Therefore, I do not run aimlessly. See, Paul's not just running over here, running over there, running over there. Kathy and I, this morning on the way, we passed somebody that was doing something in their yard, and, and I, I made, we, she, she said, what is the purpose of that, what he was doing? And I made the statement that, that it's an aimless life. It's a person we know that has an aimless life. It's just, we said it last week, right? Or I said it last week in my sermon. There are people that just go through life like they're in a glass house. They got their hands out in front of them. They just stumble from one. They, they have no direction, no plan, no guidance, no goal. They stumble from one crisis to the next, one issue to the next, one weekend to the next. It's an aimless life. Paul says, that's not the way I run. I don't run aimlessly. I don't just go from this weekend to the next, from this crisis to the next. I've got a plan. I've got a goal. I've got a finish line. I know where I'm going. I don't box as one beating the air. He says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's put this all in context. As we close out chapter 9, I want to put this in some practical context. This is, this is Paul writing. I want you to think for just a minute of all the things that Paul endured in his life. Things that he allowed into his life that he did. Does anybody really believe that Paul wanted to be shipwrecked? Does anybody want to believe that Paul was, was beaten four times with 39 lashes each time? Do you think he wanted that? you think he laid down at night dreaming of, of getting his back whipped into bloody shreds? Does anybody think that he wanted to sleep on cold ground and, and have to avoid robbers and to be stoned and left for dead? To be put in a, a, a jail cell with chains on his... Does anybody think he really wanted those things? Think about all the things he allowed into his life that he endured that he didn't want. Now think of all the things that he gave up. You know, I'm sure he sat there at night and thought, you know, it would be really nice as he's making those tents. It would be really nice if I could just let the churches pay me and I could spend all my time studying. I could spend all my time praying. I could spend all my time preaching. And I didn't have to do that. This would be really nice. See, there's things he, he didn't want in his life that he allowed for the sake of the gospel. And there's things he probably would have liked to have in his life that he pushed aside and he didn't, he didn't take. And he did that for the sake of the gospel. See, one thing is certain both for Paul and for us. In all the decisions we make in this life, the human body will always say no to inconvenience and it'll say no to suffering. The human body will always say no. The human body will always say, man, I, I will not pay the price for that. It's just not worth it. Do we all agree? Your body is just, you know... I want you to imagine for a second, Paul is ready to enter this, this hostile town with the gospel. He's already been beaten four times, a total of 150... There's no telling what the man's back looked like. I, I, I just can't even imagine what his back would have looked like. He's already been beaten with 156 lashes. And he comes into this town and he's getting ready to go in. And he knows there's a, a Jewish synagogue in that town and, and they not, nobody there has been converted. 
And for a moment, as he looks down on that town, he's, let's say he's coming down out of the hills, and he looks down on that town, and for a moment, he stops. His body wavers. In his mind, and his body's thinking, man, I'm not, I don't, don't go in there. Don't go in there, man. That, that you're, it could happen again. If you're already suffering every day, you already can't sleep at night, you've already done enough, don't do, go in there. It could happen again. And then Paul calls to mind the promise that the one who loses his life for Christ will find it. He calls to mind the race. He calls to mind the prize that's waiting on him at the end. And then he calls on the Holy Spirit for help. Then he turns, as it were, and he hits his body right in the face. And he says, submit yourself. Shut your mouth. See, Paul had, that's what he said, I discipline my body, I buffet my body, I beat it into submission, I make it do what the Word of God tells me to do. And then he walks into that town to face whatever the Lord has for him. That's exactly what he says. And you see, the same thing is true on a lesser level for you and I and how we care for one another in this church. If we've read chapter 8 and we've read chapter 9, we know that as, as Christians, we've been called to put aside our rights and freedoms for the sake of other people. Remember what Paul said in chapter 8, there's nothing wrong with eating meat offered to idols. There's nothing wrong with it. He said, you're right. But he said, your attitude is wrong. If it'll offend the conscience of a weaker believer, don't do it. He said, and he, in chapter 9, he goes on to say, he says, I've walked this out in my life. I, I could get paid for what I do, but I don't do it because I don't want people to think I'm in it for the money. He said, I practice this in my own life. We've been called in chapters 8 and chapter 9 to set aside our rights, our freedoms, and think about weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. The question is, will we do it? Well, I can tell you that we will not do it until we learn to discipline our body. Because it's never easy. Discipline always involves some degree of self-denial. And our bodies will not take kindly to that. Our body doesn't like self-denial. It doesn't like inconvenience. It doesn't like suffering. It will always it'll shy away from that. It's our job to bring it into submission and to serve one another in, in love. You see, that is the race we're called to run. That is the Christ life. You know, I talked about uh, the day I was going down the road and we always see the Salt Life stickers. And I thought we need a Christ Life sticker on the back of our vehicles. If you're going to put a, it's the Christ Life. That's my passion. That's my purpose. That's the Christian life that we're called to live. This week, or the past week, did anybody ever see, there's a guy by the name of Trey Pearson. Anybody see that this week in the news? Trey Pearson's a Christian singer. Um, I'd never heard of him. He's in a band called Everyday Sunday. He's married, he's got two kids, and he came out this past week as, and said he was gay. Anybody see that? And, and of course, everybody, and, you know, of course the world just goes bananas. Oh, what a great, you know, I'm true. And, and he, he made this statement, he said, God wants me to be true to myself. Folks, no, he doesn't. He doesn't want you to be true to yourself. He doesn't want you to be true to this, what's down deep inside of you. He wants you to deny yourself. In fact, at the end of the day, I don't, the fact that he came out as gay is, is secondary to me. He he, the fact is he walked away from two children. He walked away from a marriage. He, he disobeyed what the Word of God told him to do. 
He did it because he was gay. He could just as easily have done it because he found another woman. He could have just as easily have done it because he got tired of it. That's not the point. The point is he walked away from the Word of God. He quit. He quit. And Paul says, if I do that, I'm disqualified. Don't be true to yourself. Deny yourself. When that body says, I, I want to do that, or I don't want to do that, Paul says, you bring it into submission. You remember the prize that you're running for. And the fact is, if Christ is in you, you will bring your body into submission. You will stay on the path. You will not quit. And if you quit, Paul says, the reality was he was never in you. He was never empowering you in the first place. See, that's the Christ life. That's the Christian life that we've been called to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 1 Corinthians chapter 9. What a, what a chapter. So much in there for us to to take into account and apply to our lives. I just pray, as I always do this morning, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll take my, uh, my words that, that really don't do, do justice to the Word of God, but you'll take the Word of God and you'll apply it to our hearts and to our minds. Help us, Lord, to understand what's at stake in this life, to see the prize, not just something that is afar off, but, God, that it's right there within our reach, that it's close, it's almost there. We've just got a little bit further way to go. Help us to stay strong. We pray the grace of God will just empower each person here, God, to continue in that race. And not just lazy, not idly, not lukewarmly, but with a power and a passion and a purpose that they've been lacking maybe in the last few months or week, that that will be renewed inside of them and they'll go forward even more vigor, pressing toward the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We thank you for this day. We thank you for our pastor. We pray for him that uh, in the same way that his words will bring life today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.